0: that God will also judge the hypocrite. That gets a little personal, don't it? Don't it? I'm glad it was not just my toes that it stepped on last week. But today's verse will really get all over you because today's verses say that God will also judge the so-called religious. Wow. The great evangelist Billy Graham once said, The greatest mission field for the gospel of Jesus Christ sits in church pews every Sunday. Really? The greatest mission field for the gospel of Jesus Christ sits in church pews every Sunday? Why is that? Could it be that some people believe that being religious is all God desires? Could it be that those same people fail to realize that religion only will put you on the same road to hell as the openly wicked? You see, friend, it's not what we do externally that saves our souls. It's what happens internally that determines where we spend eternity. While the Lord is speaking today primarily to Jews and the way they brag about the law of Moses, this morning, God could be just as well speaking to Baptists. We need to know that hell will be just as filled with religious people as it will be with open sinners. And our verses today tell us why. Paul begins, and I want to remind you that he's writing to a church. He's writing to a church that's in Rome. And in that church, there are many Jewish Christians, many Jewish believers And he begins by pointing out one of the reasons why these religious people will be judged is because of their spiritual confidence in themselves. If you would, on page 1,000 in the Bibles in front of you, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. I want you to see this for yourself so that you don't think it's just coming from me. In verse 17, Of Romans chapter 2, Paul writes to these believers, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, saying, "...Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and you know His will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness." an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. What you need to know, friends, is up to this point in Romans, up to this point, the Jews in the Roman church were probably elated at what Paul was writing. They probably approved wholeheartedly with what Paul was saying when he said, God is going to judge the wicked. That gives us a certain blessing, doesn't it? To know that God is going to judge evil. Does that make you feel good? Does it? Does it? But now, Paul turns the microscope on them. And can I tell you that we are the same way? We act the same way as these Jews did in the Roman church. When you and I hear about certain people or certain groups of people that are going to be judged for what they do, we get all self-righteous and we say, Amen, Paul! Judge those wicked people, God! Judge those homosexuals! Judge those spiritually immoral! Judge those evil people. Give them what they got coming. If we're honest with ourselves, that's kind of the way we feel. But today, let's examine our own lives. That way we can be sure that we're not deceiving ourselves. I mean, what could be worse, friend, than believing all your life that you are headed to heaven only to die and go to hell. In the start of verse 17, we see that these religious folks were bragging on their lineage. Paul said, Indeed, you are called a Jew. These people, they could uh, trace their religious ancestry all the way back to Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith. And they felt that that lineage, that their ancestors gave them an ironclad guarantee that they were saved, that they didn't have nothing to worry about. But I want to tell you this morning, nothing could be further from the truth. The same is true of people in Christian circles today. There are millions of people who claim to be Christians simply because their mama and daddy was. They claim to be Christians because grandma and grandpa were believers. But I got to tell you something. You can't be saved by anything your parents did or didn't do. Your parents or grandparents can't save you. You become a Christian only when you place your faith in what Christ did for you on the cross. It is a personal, individual decision. But after describing their lineage there in verse 17, he goes further to say that these religious people were bragging about the law. They were bragging about the law of Moses. Indeed, you are called a Jew and you rest on the law. See, these Jews felt that knowing the law was the same as doing the law. We talked about this in our life group this morning. Doing and knowing are different things, aren't they? Knowing the Word of God and doing the Word of God are different. These Jews felt that knowing the law of Moses and keeping the rituals it described was enough to bring them into a right relationship with God. I want to put this on a level that you and I can understand. Imagine for a minute that there is a guy who is raised in church. All of his life, He is around Christian things. Brother Hal, he sings Christian songs. He listens to Brother Bill's Christian sermons. He reads the Christian Bible. He participates in Christian rituals all his life. But if he's not careful, he can begin to think that because of those things in his life, he's automatically a Christian. And listen carefully. Nothing could be further from the truth. So these religious folks were bragging about their lineage and they were bragging about the law that they supposedly were keeping. But they were also bragging about their so-called relationship with God, their relationship with the Lord. Again, they claimed because they knew God's word, because they knew God's will, because they knew about God's ways, because they knew about God's works, they said, hey, I got a right relationship with God. They felt that being religious was enough to please God. And they were wrong. Friend, knowing doesn't please God. Just knowing His ways, knowing His works, knowing His will, does not please God. We've got to be doing what we're knowing. You and I, we need to hear this little secret this morning. Here comes. You can't please God. You can't please God no matter how good you get. You will never, ever be good enough to please God. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, But we are all like an unclean thing. All of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Friend, you could be the best person on this planet. You could memorize this entire book. You could refrain from committing every sin that is in this book and still go to hell because you missed the one and only thing that can save us all. That is a saving experience where your faith is placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. There's only one plan. And there's no plan B. Romans 10.9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be praised God. Praise God. The bottom line is, you can say anything you want. You can say anything you please. But until you've placed your trust in the shed blood of God's Son for salvation, you are still a hell-bound sinner. But do you know that these religious folk even bragged on their leadership? Listen to what they said there in verse 19. And you are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of babes having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. See, because they had this spiritual lineage, because they knew the law of God, they felt that they had this relationship with the Lord, and they thought that they were superior than to everybody else on the planet. They were holier than thou. They felt that it was their responsibility to open everybody else's eyes to what they believed. The idea was fine because they were teaching good things, but their motive was wrong. Their hearts were wrong. And listen, friends, the same brand of hypocrisy exists in the world today. A religious person will try to force everybody else to conform to his standard of living. You got to do what I do if you want to be saved. If you don't act like me, if you don't dress like me, if you don't talk like me, then guess what? You're not saved. And you don't have no chance of heaven. My friends, that is called legalism, and it makes God sick. Our duty is not to point people to somebody's haircut or point to somebody's clothes or point to the way somebody talks or to point to the way they worship. Our duty is to point men, women, and children to the Savior, Jesus Christ, period. There's only one thing that saved back then. There's only one thing that saves now. And there's only one thing that will save forever. And that is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Friend, the spiritual confidence of these religious people was kind of nauseating to God. But Paul goes on to describe the spiritual contamination of these religious people. Look in verse 21 with me. He says, you therefore who teach one another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Sexually, physically, emotionally, mentally, or otherwise? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Wow. To open up, we see that these religious people, they were guilty of deception. They were deceiving people. These religious folks were so busy telling everybody else how wrong they were but they were deceiving themselves and other people because they were just as guilty as the people they were condemning. They were busy practicing what they were preaching against. What do we call that? When you practice what you preach against, what do we call that? Say it loud if you know it. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And yes, the same is still true today. Beware of people who are always telling others how right they are. Beware of others who are always telling how much you ought to be like them. Because often they're guilty of the same things they accuse others of doing. These religious folks were guilty of deception, but I see that they were also guilty of dishonor. Look in verse 23. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Because their practice didn't match their preaching. Because their practice didn't match their profession. They were guilty of dishonoring the Lord. Little did they realize that then, when they broke the law, that law that they claimed to love so dearly, they too were a disgrace to the Lord just like that open sinner was. See, many people fail to recognize this today. If you're listening, say amen. Sin still dishonors God. Sin still dishonors the Lord. When we sin, we're saying that he's a God to be despised, not honored. No matter what your lips may say, your life will prove how you feel about the Lord. So I want you to get honest with yourself real quick. What does your life say about God today? What does your life say about the God you worship today. These religious folk, they were guilty of deceiving, guilty of dishonor, but the Bible also says they were guilty of destruction because they lived the way they did while claiming to be God's people. The Bible says they were guilty of blasphemy. Look there in verse 24. For the name of God is blasphemed among Gentiles because of you you religious folks. Man. By their false profession, they were actually destroying the credibility of God. They were actually saying, don't worry about him. He'll turn his back on your sin. Don't worry. He won't look. You ever heard somebody say, hey, I think I'll go ahead and do this and ask for forgiveness later. I've heard that most of the time, joking. But man, oh man, that's kind of treacherous territory. See, any time that we as believers live in a way that's inconsistent with what we claim to be, the Bible says we are blaspheming God. We're taking his name in vain and we're telling the whole world. We're testifying to the world that our God ain't worthy. He's not worthy of our love. He's not worthy of our lives. He's not worthy of our devotion. How do you know? Just look at my life. And as a result, the world is turned from God rather than to God. Are you, friend, contaminating the gospel of God? Is there sin in your life that is contaminating the glorious gospel of God? These so-called religious folks, they're going to be judged. Judged because of their overconfidence in themselves, but also judged because of their overt contamination of the gospel. But Paul finishes up by pointing out the spiritual conviction Of these religious people look there in verse 25 Paul writes for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law but if you're a breaker of the law your circumcision has become uncircumcision therefore if an uncircumcised if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward of the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not for men but from God. See, it appears to me that these religious folks have been convicted of their sins. Now, this Jew felt that God would accept him just because he had been circumcised. But in this verse, I want to point out that in Christian circles, it ain't circumcision no more. It's stuff like baptism, communion, Church membership, saved parents and grandparents that are often looked upon as proof that somebody's saved or that somebody's a Christian. So I want to point out, I'm going to substitute baptism for circumcision in verse 25. Follow along. For baptism is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your baptism has become unbaptism. See, Paul pointed out, listen, y'all, he says, how you live outwardly, it does prove what's going on inwardly. If I want to know what's going on in you, I can view what's happening in your life, I can view how you're living. We can't live a life of continual unrepentant sin and expect God to look the other way. Amen? In fact, according to Jesus, the fruit of a life proves where that life is rooted. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 7. He says, every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that is, does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. People get convicted of their sins. But Paul goes on to tell us that these religious folks also get convicted by the folks that are really sincere. Look there in verse 26, and I'm going to continue substituting substitute in baptism. Therefore, if an unbaptized man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his unbaptism be counted as baptism? And will not the physically unbaptized, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and baptism are a sinner against the law? Wow. For he's not a Jew who's won outwardly nor is baptism that which is outward in the flesh, but he's a Jew who's one inwardly, and his baptism is that of the heart. Paul's telling us that these Jews, when when people looked down upon them or looked upon their lives, and those people lived lives that were pleasing to God, when those folks lived lives that were their hearts filled with God and had right with God, they were accepted over the Jew. Those ones that were not religious were better than those who were religious. In fact, God says that the righteousness of those people will actually judge the religious man as a sinner. Man, that's incredible. So, friend, listen, there's a vast difference between this religious person who tries to keep the law and tries to live right, and then the same saved person or the redeemed person who lives right. Because of a changed heart. Big difference. The religious folk will ultimately be unsuccessful. On the other hand, that person who maybe was not very religious, but had their faith in Christ and Him alone, that person will experience the glories of heaven. To close, Paul says that these religious folks will also be convicted by the Savior. Look there at the close of verse 29. In the Spirit, not from the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Paul's final statement against this religious man informs him that true religion is not a matter of the hands. It's not a matter of the feet. It's not a matter of the eyes. It's not a matter of the head. And it's not a matter of the lips. True religion is a matter of of the heart. What's going on in here? See, God will only accept those who have placed their faith in nothing but the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So we must never be deceived, friends. Never be deceived into believing that we can somehow please the Lord by being good. Or that we can be good enough to get into heaven because we've been religious all of our lives. So let me ask you this, would you describe yourself as a religious person or would you describe yourself as a redeemed person? See, there is a difference, a big difference, and the difference determines where you will spend eternity, religious or redeemed. It's my prayer that every person that comes through those doors into this church house will lose their religion. That they will lose their religion and find redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, there's also a real strong word here about being what you claim to be. On August the 5th, 1981, A young girl was born, and her name was Rachel Scott. Little did she or her family know that 17 years after that date, on April the 20th, 1999, that Rachel would be shot three times in the body and once in the temple at Columbine High School. And she could have lived. She was asked to renounce her faith in Jesus Christ, and she refused. And so she paid the ultimate price. She has a story out there called I'm Not Ashamed. I think we find a lot of religious people, if they're honest with themselves, they're just ashamed of Jesus. Rachel kept a journal. And in that journal, Rachel would make all of her entries like she was talking to God. And in one of the last entries she wrote to the Lord, she said, I want you to use me to reach the unreached. Who would think that perhaps a few weeks after that she would be killed in a hideous way? But that her story That her profession of faith in Christ Jesus, even in the face of death, would be used by God to draw people to himself for decades after her death. Could you say that? God, I just want you to use me to reach the unreached, live or die, good or bad. Thick or thin. I just want you to use me to reach the unreached. If you want to do that, the only way, the only possible way that could happen is through a redeemed relationship with Jesus Christ. So if they were placing Christians under the gun, And you were next. Would the trigger be pulled or not? If they were placing Christians on trial for their faith, would there be enough evidence to convict you in a court of law of being a true, redeemed born-again child of God? Or would you have to plead guilty to living a life of religion that dishonors the Lord? Friends, I don't know your heart, but you do. And more importantly, so does God. So, if it's past time for you to get right, for you to enter this redeemed relationship with God, I'm begging you this morning to come. Father God, we praise you this morning for the right relationship we enjoy with you that only comes through redemption. Salvation in your Son Jesus Christ. Father, we're fully aware that the outward doing.